everyone. Welcome to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and this is your co-host, Kevin Toffel. And we have an amazing show for you today. We're going to talk about Google's IoT Cloud, Samsung Arctic, and some new stuff there. We've got a lot of news about Amazon Echo and developer services. Plus, we're going to talk about Honeywell starting a new $100 million venture fund. There's also a new place to shop that I'm super excited about here in Austin, Texas. And we're going to make some some speculation about Spotify. And this week's sponsor is Eris. And after hearing from them, we are going to hear from our guest, Bill Gardner from GE Appliances. We're going to talk about smart kitchens and when you will be able to buy one. Some of y'all are in luck. But first, speaking of smart kitchens... The Smart Kitchen Summit is the only event of its kind to tackle the future of food, cooking, and the kitchen with decision makers and disruptors across food, cooking, appliances, retail, and technology. With two full days of content, discussions, networking, and product showcases, the 2017 Smart Kitchen Summit will be held at the Benaroya Hall in Seattle on October 10th through 11th. Listeners can use the code STACY, you gotta spell it right guys, S-T-A-C-E-Y, for a 25% discount on tickets at www.smartkitchensummit.com. All right, Kevin. Hmm. Well, it's, the timing of today's podcast is interesting because in about four hours after we record this, Google I.O. kicks off with a keynote, which kind of leads me to my typical disclosure that I do work for Google as a consultant in their enterprise area for devices, not IoT or anything like that. So all opinions are my own. So it's like we know some things because Google just announced some things, but we know Google's going to probably announce some more things. And Kevin doesn't actually know those things. So he can't give us a sneak peek knowing that tomorrow this would let air. So you guys are just going to have to get a slightly stale podcast. I hate to think of it that way, though. Yeah, I there's know, I there's know. a lot of good stuff this week. We so. asked Google to like push everything up a day, but they didn't listen. So never, I don't I don't have any pull there. You know? Yeah, Kevin. I one know. Day, I know. Slacker. You'll you'll be able to call Sundar and be like Sundar. Make it so. So make it so. Let's get started with Google launching a beta version of an IoT cloud platform as part of its cloud computing efforts. A private beta. A private beta, which means which is like extra beta. <laughs> it's not quite alpha, but it's almost. So this is Google Cloud IoT Core. So when I'm looking at a new IoT cloud platform, I look for a couple things. I look for mm-hmm. the ability to provision, um, mm-hmm. ingest data device management, and probably some other things that I'm not thinking about. I think I said data analytics. Um, updates. And then firmware updates. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. Which this has some of those. It, it definitely does. has firmware updates, at least for Android things devices. Um, Google says the firmware updates can be automatic. I don't know much about the provisioning side for, for other devices, but certainly the analytics are there. I mean, this ties into Google Cloud Platform, Bigtable, BigQuery, even their cloud machine learning aspects. So there's there's some of what you're looking for, I think. 
Yeah, and that would explain why it's still in private beta. And they've also got a lot of device partners. So it's mm-hmm. possible that certain modules you buy from these device partners are going to be able to be managed and updated through this. And mm-hmm. that's that's very similar. AWS has something like that, and they work with lots of other NXP, ARM, Intel, other companies to pull device in for these certified boards. And it's mostly the same players here. I mean, this is clearly a, a an attempt to show developers, hey, you know, you don't have to go AWS. If you don't want to, you if you want to take advantage of Google Cloud Platform and all the services there, come on over here. Yeah. And honestly, Google is not a huge player in the industrial or the kind of even manufacturers of consumer devices doing this. And this actually doesn't change anything because this is such a limited beta right now. Mm-hmm. But AWS is by far and away, according to like the Eclipse Developer Survey, the mm-hmm. number one cloud. I think it's 40 something percent of developers on it, followed by Azure, which has got 26 or 27. Yeah. I was just, I was just going to say Microsoft is a strong number two there and, and Google's trying to catch up. Right. So this makes sense. Um, but it, and it's good that Google's doing this. It needs to do this. This is mm-hmm. going to speak. So Google looks like they have support for MQTT. I'm not seeing support for like AMPQ or AMQP. I can never remember. <laughs> how that acronym goes. But MQTT is a communications protocol that a lot of people use. So this is good. It needs to happen. So that's all I can say about it right now. My hope, and I don't know, but my hope is that at IO, more information comes out or even some additional features, support, etc. Because it was interesting to me that this blog post on the Google Cloud blog was published the day before IO, right? It's not like this is IO news. If it was, why not hold it for I.O., right? So I'm kind of hoping there's some follow-up information here. Me too. Also in the Google sphere, the Googleverse, I don't know what (laughs) we're going to call it, um, Google (laughs) Things, wherein they're going to talk about this at I.O. because there's a developer session, but they did the Android Things Preview 4. And basically, we, we see it works with IoT Cloud. We also know that there's new board support for some new stuff from NXP. They've got a lot of voice focused here. I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. excited about the voice focus. Which is a good follow-up from earlier this month. Magpie Magazine, the folks for, who like to use Raspberry Pis, that community, there was a do-it-yourself Google Assistant kit in there. You had to add your own Pi to it, but there was a cardboard kit and and add-on boards and so on, and you could download software and basically build your own little Google Assistant device through it. So that's where I think the first real voice kit aspect came into play. So it's a follow-up to that. Yes, with DP4, the necessary drivers are provided to support the Google Assistant SDK on all Android Things certified development boards. Right. So right. now we can all... So this is really good because it's saying that Google's like, hey, you know what? We're going to talk to our things, which we we kind of knew. But we've been saying that for years. But there it is. Google's building it into their thing stuff. I wish we would hear a little bit more about Weave at this thing, at this thing, at Google I.O. <laughs> <laughs> Weave is their communications device discovery protocol. You know, they talk this up. It competes with the iotivity standard that isn't really designed actually for small things yet and there's a lot of play happening here but maybe google's like you know what the standards thing is not working out let's just forget about it all i don't don't know so i don't know i mean that whole messaging has been kind of murky for the better part of at least two years um i did see in the developer preview news that they said you know we'll be talking more about this 
and they had the live stream link so anybody can tune in. My hope is that we do hear more. Because it the last couple of years, I mean, we've just been throwing Weave and Brillo and Android things around. And now Brillo yeah. is Android things. Right, right. Yes. So we need some clarity. We would love some clarity. Yeah. I bet I bet inside Google sometimes I feel like the Googlers probably would love some clarity too. But that's just me on the outside <laughs> looking at No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to throw you under the bus here, no, Kevin. No, it's all good. It's all good. Okay. Speaking of clouds, and we've got a lot of clouds in this week's podcast, IoT World is happening in California as well this week. And Samsung did some news related to its Arctic IoT platform. And Arctic is both a cloud platform, but it's also a series of modules that Samsung has built. Um, and they announced a new one. It is super tiny, super hardened, relatively cheap, and it's designed for medical devices, connected home appliances, building products. So this has a bunch of radios, it has chips, it has pretty much everything you need to just pop it in and build something. And then Samsung Arctic is also in their cloud side, which Arctic is famous for having all these cloud connectors where you can mm -hmm. link different services. Like I could link my washing machine to my Google Home, for example, through it has a link to Google Assistant, basically. I think you're foreshadowing there. I might be. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so. Oh, I was. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I read the notes. I, I saw the guest. Oh, yes. today today's podcast, you guys, is just all over. So yeah, hey, before we leave this Arctic bit, I also saw that uh, Samsung's working with VMware on their partner program with Arctic. And VMware has the VMware Pulse IoT Center, which is basically a control panel to get information and visibility into the health of your IoT devices. So rather smart of them to to if they can't build it themselves it's rather smart of samsung to partner with somebody who can help manage these devices and make sure they're all on the up and up right so you could connect all kinds of things to that iot the pulse iot center mm -hmm. all right you know we should have made today a drinking game so every time we said iot cloud or iot we should have just taken a drink uh, i would have swapped my coffee out oh well <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's the Samsung Arctic news. Mm -hmm. And moving right into the Amazon Echo. So much stuff happening here. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's just get the first big news, exciting thing out of the way. Money. A Amazon <laughs> is going to pay some of its developers. The skill developers. Yeah. Yes. And this is something I actually thought about. I wrote about it when I was at Fortune over a year ago saying, hey, is this going to really be an app store? Will Amazon let it, let developers monetize? Mm -hmm. Madam A. And the answer is yep. yes. Yep. It's kind of, it, they're just getting started though. I don't want people to get all excited. They're, I mean, this is kind of limited. It's only game skills at first. So. Yes. Because Amazon has actually, and I don't, I don't remember where I saw this, if it was in the letter to shareholders or it was in a conference somewhere, but Amazon said it was really beefing up its game efforts. So smart mm -hmm. home focus was last year, and now it really wants to have a lot of games. So that makes sense that they would pay game makers to build cool games. That's kind of an interesting place to start, though. It must be because those are very popular, but I'm scratching my head. Like, I've never once, like, you know, played like a quiz game or any other game with You've never an done echo. jeopardy on the echo or Bingo? no no i mean i i totally get it i'm not i'm not trying to diss it, it i get it but you know, i can't 
imagine it's that popular, but it must be. You know, uh, I'm an outlier. I don't know what to say. Well, I don't think on the Echo that you are an outlier. And that's what I think Amazon's really hoping we find the next big, you know, the next style of gaming for voice. In- I mean, that's like me sitting around tell- playing chess with my kids, but only I voice control the board by telling my kids what move to make. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> Maybe we're not the right. I mean, like people play solitaire. Nah. Yeah. And I can nah. think of someone who's older and lonely. Fair. Fair point. That That's me pretty soon. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, apparently, Kevin's family's moving out, and he's going to just be and he's getting old alone with Madame. All right. Other exciting news, especially for us consumers and people who have Echoes everywhere, they're doing a program for allowing notifications. Mm-hmm. So Amazon has announced notifications for Madame A coming soon. Right now, you just sign up. But basically, this is going to not just, and this is something I saw with the Google Home, and I was like, oh, I want that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is basically you're going around your day, and think about all the times that like Google Now or something pings you and is like, ping. Time to leave. Time Go to with leave. the kids. Yep. So those are the things. So um, it's going to enable notifications for select skills and shopping updates on most devices with Madam A. So AccuWeather, Life360, which is a really great program for tracking your family members, those are going to be the first to update their skills with notifications. Mm-hmm. So is the Washington Post and Just Eat will also be there. Yeah, it's interesting because the Echoes have pretty much been very passive devices up until now. Although just last week, we saw the first, I'll say active bit of where the Echo actually tells you something without your asking it. And that was the calling. Yes. Right. And I wouldn't call that a notification, but you could see where they're going with it. It's now it's going to it's going to start, you know, reaching out to you when something happens. And that's definitely needed. Yes. And all the skills will require users to opt in mm-hmm. and you can you can disable notifications for skills or suppress notifications temporarily by putting devices in do not disturb mode by voice or through the Echo app, which is good. Good, good, good. Yes. Because I, I was thinking. So I'll say last week we talked about the Echo show. Mm-hmm. And a little bit later that afternoon, after we recorded the show, Kevin says I spam called him. <laughs> and it was, was really, kidding. it was really awkward. But I did. I wanted to show off the feature, and I was on this week in Google, so I, I called Kevin live on the air. She called me. <laughs> I knew you could handle it. Oh yeah. Now I was sitting here at my home office, and but all of a sudden the little dot that I have in here lights up green and says, "Call it, Stacy Higginbottom's calling." And I tried to answer it, and fortunately, it didn't work. I don't know why. I, th- I think I was just taken aback, and I didn't say the right command. So I called you back on the air, and it worked out just fine. But the point here is, it's just like having a landline phone again. Yeah. And I yep. actually felt like I was really int- like Kevin. You don't know the the angst inside of me as I was oh, calling. No. I was like, oh, he's not prepared to take See, the I- call. Yeah, I tweeted that Stacy just spam called me on the Amazon Echo, and I <laughs> I, I didn't mind at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I was really upset, Kevin. No. I thought it was funny, actually. I did, too. I, yeah. And everybody who liked the tweet where I said I was a jerk, I am unimpressed with you guys. Was, my response was, well, I am yeah. a jerk. And then You're not supposed to like that. <laughs> I got so many likes. Okay. So all yeah. of you guys, I don't know. I'm shaking my head at y'all. All mm. righty. This notification bit actually plays into uh, another one of our topics, and that is Amazon has a new TV out. 
an Amazon TV. A 4K Amazon TV. 4K, yeah, they say 4K, and it's low <laughs> price. Well, I mean, I'm an HD guy from back before we had HD. It does have 4K UHD, but no HDR, high dynamic range, so whatever. But more importantly, it has it basically has the Amazon Fire interface just built in. The software is built right in, so you don't need a Fire TV stick or a box. And, of course, with that comes your assistant. And I was just thinking about this. Like if I'm watching TV, I don't want an echo notification on my TV, you know, popping up. Oh, really? Because that's one of the things is like somewhere in the corner. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen this in people's homes, like AT&T used to have it. I'm sure Comcast had it where you could get caller ID on your television. So a yeah, little thing yeah. pops up and and I shut it off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm Netflix and don't mess with me, okay? That's me time. You're like, when I'm engrossed <laughs> in the drama. Yeah. No, no. I'm watching Bosch. Back off, caller. Okay. Well, that's yeah. what do not disturb mode's for. True, true. But for folks who don't have an Echo, again, this is another way for Amazon to propagate this whole service into the smart home. Because these TVs start at four ninety nine. Yeah. I mean, that's for the 43-inch or 42-inch, and then it's eight ninety nine uh, yeah. for the... 65 inch display. Yeah. That's not a crazy price. <laughs> yeah. The only downside to me, I prefer plugging a box into a TV because I'd rather buy a TV with the highest picture quality and so on and so forth. And I don't want to be locked into the smarts, the hardware that's built in for, you know, the, the chip, the processor and so on that's built in for the interface and the software. Because you that, want, yeah, you want a dumb screen and a smart box. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I bought. I have a dumb, awesome 4K screen, and I plug in, well, either an Amazon Fire TV or, or an NVIDIA Shield TV. So, yeah. Got it. Okay, so there's – and I I don't want – I mean, what happens when Amazon gets real pissed at Google and they stop YouTube and – I you know. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen for any of the people who are content providers and such. Yeah. So – Let's see other oh other news bits. These are these are smaller news bits, but Honeywell, which I know we've had them on the show as a guest, but Honeywell <laughs> has created a hundred million dollar venture capital fund, hmm. and the focus here is on anything that will help it scale its businesses. The reason we mention it here is because they are really big in the industrial Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. They are already offering things as a service to customers, and they. Well, they also make consumer devices, but I don't know if this venture fund really focuses on the consumer side. It looks more industrial. Mm -hmm. So the point here, new venture capital arm. So if you are trying to sell people on, you know, HVAC stuff, building management, industrial processes, maybe pop on over to Honeywell and see what they've got. Mm -hmm. Okay. Other news. We've talked about this in the past. Spotify, there were rumors a while back that it might build its own hardware device. And Kevin was like, that's stupid. Meh. <laughs> I'll tell you why in a minute. <laughs> I, as a Spotify customer, just got a survey and they asked me all these questions about my physical fitness. Rather, do mm. I, am I crazy about my physical fitness or not? And would I like to listen to music and all this other great stuff? So my fingers are crossed that maybe they're going to make a wearable that's truly wearable and not just a controller or not just attached to my smartphone that mm. I can wear while I'm exercising or walking. So I was kind of down on this idea when it was first announced they were thinking about entering the wearable market. 
I'm even more so now, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, I actually just bought a new wearable, although it's technically an old one because it came out last year, almost a year ago. <gasps> I bought it. Yeah, I bought, and I bought this a year ago. In fact, I last year I bought a Samsung Gear Fit Two, and one of the big things it had, or was touted as having, is it's got Spotify. And then everyone at went out and bought it only to find out it's just a Spotify app that controls Spotify on your phone. So you still need to carry your phone when you work out, which is kind of silly because this thing can store music. There are still tons and tons of forum posts, people complaining about this thing, right? So I ended up returning it a year ago, technically because it didn't integrate with RunKeeper, which is what I use for my book of record for exercising. It now does. And I found a refurbished unit probably the same one I returned a year ago for $85. So I bought it. It's working great. Spotify still is the same. It's just a controller. Here's my point. Long story short, if Spotify comes out with its own hardware wearable device that allows offline music playback, what happens to all these other wearables that either work with Spotify in a limited fashion or, or what? They're probably never going to have offline playback capability. And I just think that's terrible. Oh, so Spotify would keep offline playback for itself. Bada bing. Man, because so that was That's why my thought. I, yeah. And that was why I was so interested in the Pebble. Was it the core? I think is what it was called. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, you know, Fitbit bought them and they canceled that. And right. Right. I'm still I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of Spotify smartwatch apps so you can put spotify on your watch or whatever and these watches have storage can store music so you can go exercise and listen which is what i always do when i go out and run i always listen to music but i think spotify would hold that back for itself i mean and i don't blame them if i were them but as a consumer i'm like mm, i'm mad mm, mm. okay but you'll be happy maybe <laughs> maybe Alrighty, and final bit of news. This is for people who live in Austin, near me. You do. Me? Mm -hmm. This is basically for me. <laughs> I'll just be honest. The Beta Store. So we've talked about them before. This is a consumer store where you can try all kinds of connected devices, not just connected home stuff, but actually you can try innovative products because I actually saw a pillow in the Austin store that had no connectivity whatsoever. It was just a cool fabric that stayed cool. Yay, pillows. But you can try out virtual reality headsets. You can ride on bikes. You can listen to speakers. So they're opening a store in Austin. If you're in Austin, it's in the domain area. If you're not in Austin, they also have stores in Seattle, Santa Monica, and Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have one in San Francisco, but that is TBD on when that happens. And yeah, I went in. I got to see lots of devices that, quite frankly, I'm very worried that I have this near me. So <laughs> I keep meaning to go out to the Palo Alto one when I go out to Google, and I just haven't had the time, but I plan on going out there. Well, bring your wallet. That's all I, I know. gotta say. That's that's always <laughs> me. I know. I'm like, there's some really great stuff in there, and being able to try it, and that's kind of the fun part. So, <laughs> yay! And now I feel like we've talked about it a lot really quickly, but. We've got our guests still to come, and we're going to have a word from our sponsor, Eris. This week's guest is actually Bill Gardner from GE Appliances. And this week, GE Appliances said all of its connected appliances will now work with the Google Home. And that closes the foreshadowing loop for today. Indeed. I was, I was, <laughs> I had no idea I did that, but yes. So. Bill is not going to talk about that, but he is going to talk about the future of smart kitchens, 
what people do with their appliances in Echo, and he will introduce you to Geneva, who is the smart assistant that works with both the Google Home Now and the Amazon Echo. Stay tuned for that after a message from Eris. Hey everyone, this is Stacy, and I'm breaking into the Internet of Things podcast with a quick message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Eris, and I have Z Hussein, who is the CTO and co-founder of Eris. So last week we talked about what Eris does, but can you give us a quick refresher? Eris is a company that provides the data services for IoT applications all the way from the remote device, cellular device that gathers the information back through the networks, both within the U.S. and internationally, to data centers and storage and analytic systems that take appropriate action on the data that is being gathered, and then it can also provide remote control of the devices that are out in the field. That's a big job. One of the biggest aspects of that is connectivity. What are the options out there for the Internet of Things? That's a very good question, Stacey. I think it depends very strongly on the requirements of the application. In truly mobile or physically mobile applications, cellular is a natural choice because it provides the capability of using a network transport that's available everywhere that people are or that people will send their IoT devices to. If the device is located within a residence or a business, there are other options, clearly. You can have Wi-Fi connected devices. If it's a short-range device that communicates with a cell phone, it could perhaps use Bluetooth or Zigbee. Options exist. And of course, there are some next-generation low-power wide-area networks that are being deployed within the United States and overseas that can provide lower-cost, short-range and long-range and medium-to-long-range connectivity for these kinds of applications. The choices depend very heavily on what the application's requirements are, what the cost model for the services that they're providing can be, etc., etc. Every one of these connectivity options has pros and cons, and the decision for which one to use is something that we can help guide uh, there's an estimate that about 30%, 29 to 30% of the devices being deployed for M2M IoT applications by 2025 will be either cellular or some form of low-power wide-area network. What are my options for U.S. or global deployments? When you deploy an IoT application within the U.S. or internationally, you will generally deploy a cellular application. Of course, radio modules for cellular are a bit more expensive than other technologies. On the other hand, Cellular is available pretty much anywhere around the world. You may have to compensate for the frequency differences and technology differences that may exist in other parts of the world. And that's relatively easy to do. We have that information, and depending on the the requirements that the IoT application has for data transport, you will make choices and make decisions about which radio to use. And Z, where can I go to find out more? I'd like to refer people to the ebook that I have published. It's available freely on our website, www.aris.com. And our podcast is also available at the same site, www.aris.com slash podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham. And today's guest is Bill Gardner, who is Manager of Connected Partnerships at GE Appliances. Hi, Bill. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Stacey. Thanks for having me on. Man, I am super excited about this because, well, because I have many appliances. They're not all GE, but this is a place where I'm like, ooh, connectivity could make my life really awesome. But it's also a place where I'm like, man, how are we even going to get to this point? So we're going to talk about all that. Well, hopefully uh, after this conversation, you're going to go out and buy all new GE appliances. You're going to be so excited. 
Oh, that's a tall order, my friend. I, I just bought a house and built it in 2012. So my appliances are, they don't have Wi-Fi, but they're still really good. But we'll see. You can do this. I have faith in you, Bill. All right. <laughs> so let's get started with what is GE Appliances doing here? Because I, I've written about like some efforts you guys had way back with Wink to kind of do some retrofitting. I know that at CES every year, I see kind of some connected options from you guys. So what is the overall strategy? Well, connected is really important to GE Appliances for the ability to deliver firmware updates by having that appliance connected, being able to push you service updates, make sure appliance is always up to date. But we know that's not a real exciting thing to sell people, right? People don't buy the appliance from day one thinking, oh, it's going to be great for me to connect this appliance so some years down the road I can get a service update uh, to save a a trip to my house to fix it. So what we're doing is creating these partnerships with uh, these value-added players in in the smart home field and creating those use cases or making people want to connect their appliances. Uh, We'll talk about several of them today, but if you give the person the real value, they're, they're going to go out and and make that extra step to get that appliance connected, which is really good for them in the long term, but it's good for them in the short term as well, because then they get that really nice use case to how to solve their everyday problems in their home. And it's really good for you guys, because there's a there's a huge benefit for y'all to see how the appliances are performing in the field. Oh, absolutely. We have tons of stories where we can identify a problem in an appliance that maybe even a person doesn't even know about, contact that consumer, practically reach the consumer, uh, let them know their appliance isn't performing optimally, talk to them, send a service tech or push an update to them, and really build that relationship with the consumer. And of the appliances that you guys have out there, is your whole line connected now? Pretty much the whole line is connected. You have the refrigerator, the dishwasher, the wall oven, the range, the washer, the dryer, the window air conditioner. You don't have microwave yet. You don't have our Advantium yet. Uh, but the full product line for the most part is connectable. So how long ago did you guys start adding connectivity? Really in mass, that started around 2014, where you started to see appliances roll off in significant numbers off the production line that were Wi-Fi capable. Uh, Last year, we had 70 SKUs connected. This year, there'll be over 100 when it's all said and done this year. All right. So since you guys have been doing this for not too long, but, you know, long enough, do consumers care about Wi-Fi in an appliance. And once they've bought it, an appliance with Wi-Fi, do they bother to connect it? Uh, that's a great question. And as you can imagine, it's not a, they're not as commonly connected as you will find a lot of IoT devices in a home, light switches, garage door openers, because those have that everyday up and down, on, off. The use cases for appliances, the home are a little more complicated. So people don't intuitively always see the reason to connect those. But you're starting to see more and more of these partnerships, which is really driving those integrations to happen. Uh, we can specifically talk about one that's really been an explosion in this space is when the Echo came online. With that capability, you now have people hands-free in their kitchen. There's always a time in the kitchen when you could use one or two or three more hands to complete your action, right? They're full of bacteria from your chicken that you're preparing. They're dirty with cookie dough. You may have a child pulling at your leg while you're trying to cook. All those things, right, really restrict what you can do. You have to use your, that old elbow trick where you kind of hit up uh, the water faucet to turn it on, to wash your hands, to go touch your oven. Now with that voice experience and that connected Wi-Fi appliance, 
now people are really starting to see the value in the home of how the Wi-Fi connected capability really drives value to my everyday life. Why don't you give me a couple of examples? By far, our most common function through voice control is preheating the oven. People come down, they get ready to get into the refrigerator to get out their meat or the protein, whatever they're going to fix, and they just say, Geneva, preheat the oven to 350. Ooh, so Geneva is your assistant? So Geneva is actually our Amazon skill. So you can activate that skill, connect your GE connected appliance to that skill, and then you can talk to Geneva and she can control all of our connected appliances. Got it. Okay. I was like, who is this Geneva woman and where is she? What is she doing in my kitchen? (laughs) It was really a design decision by us. Originally, we had a skill for the oven, a skill for the refrigerator. And we realized there's a lot of use cases where maybe the appliances would want to talk to each other and having to remember which one to talk to would be a pain point for the consumer. So we just say, always talk to Geneva. She is the broker of all that information and she'll get the information to the right appliance. I like that. Yeah, that's definitely an issue that I think we're going to see a lot more of as voice control moves places because I do not want to think, oh, oh, I'm trying to talk to my oven. I've got to ask Geneva and now I'm trying to play music. So I've got to ask Madam A and I wanted to, you know, text someone. So now I'm going to ask Google and it's, ah, okay. So you guys are working with partners to give people a reason to connect beyond just the cool stuff that it can do for your backend. And I will say everyone, I don't have a GE fridge. I have a Samsung fridge, but a couple weeks ago, it started making this weird, funky noise. And we were like, what is happening? And I wanted a connected fridge more than anything in the world at that moment. So I could just be like, hey, Samsung, take a virtual look at my fridge and and tell me what's wrong so we can just fix it. And instead, I had to call a literal refrigerator repairman to come out and do something. And I was like, ah. that's exactly that's the use case that we're trying to to tackle right there. If we give you a reason to connect that refrigerator at the time of purchase, when that problem occurs, there's a good chance it might already be identified. Or when that tech comes to your house, we can guarantee in the first time they come there that they're going to have the right parts on their truck to, to deliver you, you know, a, a fixed uh, appliance right there that first day. I know. So you guys do want connected appliances for the one, possibly two, or never times that this thing might break down. So that's the reason to connect. The second reason to connect is probably cool things like voice control. Let's talk about intelligence. So when you connect things for, you know, I've been doing this for a while. So a while back, like in 2012, 2014, or 2013, people were like, let's put Wi-Fi in it so we can remotely control it. And yes, it would be nice to remotely preheat my oven, for example, for my smartphone. But for most people, it didn't feel like a good enough reason to spend the extra dollars for a connected device. But now what I'm seeing is things like my favorite device, the June oven, which is a oven that's connected, but the connectivity is sidelined by the fact that it's it's smart. It has you know sensors in the feet that weigh the food. Mm. It's got pre-programmed recipes in it that just, you know, I I stick basically a piece of fish in there and it's like, hey, is this salmon? And I'm like, yes. It's like, do you want it well done? And I'm like, yes. And then it just does it. And that to me is like where we should be heading as opposed to like, oh, I can control it from my smartphone. So what are your thoughts? Where are you guys kind of taking it? I couldn't agree with you more. So I think that is exactly where you want to go. Kind of remove some of that difficulty of controlling the appliance. Since we make appliances, we often know how to control it better than a lot of consumers do, but they get used to using a certain mode. Let me give you a good example. So your oven has a lot of modes and a lot of people don't know when to use convection, when to not use convection. If you tell us you're making food X, right? 
then we can intelligently go through and, and recommend a mochi. You can always override it. Maybe you're a better chef than we are. Maybe you got a specialty technique you want to use, but we make that recommendation of what the best mode to use is. And that feature you saw actually going back to voice came in through this technique. We saw, well, what is the most popular thing people are doing? They're preheating their oven to a temperature. So what did you see us do? We rolled in a lot of presets. So now you can say, I want cookies or I want pizza or I want chicken nuggets. I want lasagna. All those things come through. Now we say, Hey, this is Geneva. We would, we recommend putting your hub in with convection bake to 350 and it sets it there. So the user doesn't have to necessarily know. This is great for teenagers or aspiring cooks that they don't quite know all the fancy features maybe their oven can do. If tell us the food that you want to cook and we're going to recommend a mode to you. And that's great because the control panel can have a mode on it for every possible food combination. But again, with that voice and that connected experience, us knowing the intent of what you're trying to do, which is cook that food, now we can deliver a specialty mode to you. So you'll see over time, us deliver tons of new specialty modes to the users through that interface. That's great. So do I end up saying something like Geneva, preheat the oven for cookies? Or is it more like I initiate a conversation and Geneva's like, what do you want to cook? So right now, it's you're giving her that preset. So you say Geneva tell the oven to preheat for cookies. That's where we are right now. But as we go, you're going to find these conversational assistants to be more open-ended to really kind of get at what you want. I love it. Okay. This is very smart. So let's think about, since we're in the kitchen, let's stay in the kitchen. We won't, we won't head to the laundry room just yet. What do you think of, like when we talk about a smart kitchen, I'm curious, like in three to five years, what is my cooking or my kitchen experience going to be like in the GE appliance world? I really think it's the assisted cooking part that, that's going to really uh, revolutionize the kitchen. Is It's going to be the recipe app interacting with the appliance to take over once you've done the basic preparation. It's going to know that you need to set temperature X for 30 minutes and then broil for the last minute. Or you're going to see exciting things on the cooktop eventually where it's going to hold 375 for five minutes and then automatically turn it down the recipes will give very explicit directions to the appliance and it will take over. I think that's really the exciting part that's going to up a lot of people's cooking game in the kitchen. That is exciting. And I've been excited about this for a long time. And I think one of the key elements that we don't talk about is the concept of how do we digitize recipes and have computers understand what food is being cooked. And you guys, so it's a fun thing for me to tell the oven, hey, I'm making cookies for example, and it to figure out what I need to do from there. In the case of the June, it uses pictures, like a video image. But you have a relationship with Drop that is really fundamentally remaking recipes. So I'm curious, like how you guys see digital recipes or instructions, how that's going to kind of migrate into the kitchen. So Drop was really an exciting partnership with us. Uh, They have a great user experience. And they're really taking that recipe to the next level by minimizing the number of bowls that a person needs to use to prepare a recipe, by making sure they're step-by-step by doing unit conversions. If you don't have enough milk or you don't have enough of ingredient A, sizing the recipe so you can still make it perfectly with what you do have, that's really very exciting. And then you tie that into the oven so it knows exactly when to preheat. It knows exactly the temperature and sets the timers and everything comes out coordinated at the end. That was really a very exciting partnership. And I think you're going to see many more of those types of partnerships with our connected appliances over the next coming years. 
So we've got this vision of like assisted cooking. What else needs to come together to make that a reality? We have the connected appliances. We've talked about digital recipes. What else might we need? So that's a great question. So one thing that I think is overlooked sometimes is knowing what's in the pantry. So you have to really have that inventory management kind of concept to really connect everything so that the recipe is recommending recipes of ingredients you have on hand. No use giving you recipes that you have to go to a specialty store to get an ingredient for or you don't have on hand. I think another important thing is people are very health conscious. So being able to know that I have goals to lose weight or lower my cholesterol or have better heart health, considering that is part of my recipes. And then I think you're going to continue to see the appliances deliver more sensors for different types of things uh, to sense the food has done this or content level of different types of elements that occur during cooking. So you're going to have sensors, you're going to have inventory management, you're going to have this health conscious kind of goal. So we're all working together to deliver a good experience to the consumer. This sounds magical, and I'm very excited about it. But I'm not excited enough yet, yet, Bill, to go out and buy all new appliances. So how do we, I guess there's two questions here. One is how long till we get to something like this? But two, is there a way to retrofit? Are you guys thinking about that? Or is it just new stuff? Go, go, get thee to the mall. So our appliances, the way we architect our cloud is that we always are looking to be backwards compatible. So we don't deliver a capability and it's only available on appliances and newer. We want to make sure that we're always carrying our existing uh, customer base in line so that when an exciting capability comes out, we, we don't leave you behind. So through those firmware updates and through that connected experience, then we can make that appliance, if it supports the mode, capable for that new capability. So that is definitely in the forefront of our mind. And we're always looking for these new content partners. I'd love if any of them are here listening and you've got an exciting new integration there, give me a call. would love to talk to you about how we bring that experience because it's GE's philosophy that we want to be agnostic. Some people are want to cook on drop and that's how they want to use or want to, their cooking experience to be. And others are going to be on recipe, a different recipe app. And that's okay too, because not everybody's going to be on the same platform. We want to be that connecting piece in the middle because ultimately they always have to put it in their oven to bake it or put it on their cooktop. So we want to be open to all these integrations as they come because we know it's a very exciting space. A lot of startups are out there every day with new and innovative ideas, and, and we're open to supporting those. I'm sad about my lack of retrofits, but I am excited about your kind of forward thinking here on feature availability. So one of the things I've been thinking about with connected appliances, especially things like ovens, which should last for, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, how do you kind of build in, I guess, is it margin or build a way to knowing that you're going to have to support this thing for, you know, the next decade or decade and a half? How are you guys budgeting for that? How do you communicate that to the customer? Stacey, I'd love to answer that question. That's not really in my ballpark. Being a large company, we have uh, lots of teams with distinct responsibilities, and there are people looking at that. But as you mentioned, that's a new uh, venture that we're getting into is how to manage this software of that appliance much, much longer than we used to. So I would have to defer to those people on that specific question. Sounds good. Yes, because... There's probably nothing worse than an oven or actually probably a refrigerator that bricks itself. That would be terrible. Let's move into the laundry room, mostly because 
I can't think of what I'd want in a connected washer and dryer other than like energy management features, but I have been assured by people in the industry that there are features that I would want. So I would love to hear you tell me about them. The feature that makes the most sense in this laundry space is that oftentimes people will have that laundry pair on a different floor than they're spending the majority of their time. You'll see it often in a basement. You'll see it oftentimes upstairs in a bedroom where on that Saturday, maybe where you're you're doing your chores, you're going around the house doing your cleaning and you have to do laundry, you have to walk up and down those stairs to see if the laundry's done. How many times have you walked upstairs, got to the to the unit and then realized it has five minutes left? And so you either stand there and you waste five minutes or you go back downstairs and you come back up. So being able to know the status of that unit in itself is a very valuable thing to manage your time because oftentimes people don't love to do laundry. It's kind of a task that has to be, it's a burdensome task that you have to do every weekend and you want to do it in as short a time as you can. Uh, we have partnerships with Amazon DRS so that you can automatically reorder dryer sheets. So now you don't have to worry about how many dryer sheets you left. How many times have you reached over to put a load in there and realized that that was the last dryer sheet or maybe you were out, right? So having that automatic replenishment that can come along with connected appliances is great. Another exciting example is being able to extend the tumble. You're busy doing something. You can't quite get there. You don't want your clothes to wrinkle. You've, you found out that the time's expired. Just extend the tumble and turn off the heat and let the clothes continue to tumble so that it don't wrinkle. So there's three or four use cases for that laundry pair that really is very exciting. Okay. I always feel like my washer and dryer are too high tech. I've got all these weird features on there that I'm like, I don't even know what the this particular laundry cycle does or how it differs. And so I, I'm like, how do I make this easier? Or maybe I don't. That's an exciting question when you think about your laundry and all those cycles, you don't know what they mean. Let's take it back to where we mentioned presets for foods. Let's say you know you have grass stains on cotton or blue jeans. Okay. Why don't you just tell the unit why don't you just tell the unit that's what you know? So someday in the future, the unit should be smart enough to understand I have cotton fabrics with grass stains or wine or ketchup or whatever the stain may be and figure out the best cycle for you. I like it. Okay. So here's the biggest, most difficult question I have when it comes to appliances, which is right now I have appliances. I, I do have GE appliances, but I also have the Samsung refrigerator. I have Bosch stuff. So I have different stuff in my house and I bought, I actually built my house and bought all my appliances at the same time, but I chose different appliances for that reason. Are you guys ever going to work with, you know, Bosch? Or is there going to be another middle person to handle all that for me? Well, you, what you do see us is you see us working with home hubs. So you see us working with the Echo. There'll be other home hubs that we will work with as people adopt a home hub and they feel excited and there's passion, there's energy around a home hub. You'll see us develop for that as well. And it's possible that that becomes the broker for the appliances to work together. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I am sad that I will not be able to try Geneva, but at some point in time, maybe I'll I'll pop into a store and see if I can check this out because it kind of sounds awesome. And definitely, next time I'm in the market for appliances, I'm going to take a look. Well, I know when you check them out and you see them in the stores and you interact with them, you're going to love them and you're going to be a customer for life. All right. That's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want more... 
IoT News, you can sign up for my newsletter, Stacy Knows Things, at stacyoniot.com. We'll see you next week.